Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and this is the Jack Riccardi Show. I want you to know I listened to the news and, and you hit all the top stories. You, you got them all. It's a busy day. You covered them all. But I do want to start with an important update about Jamie Foxx. Okay. Jamie Foxx's daughter reveals that he is out of the hospital and playing pickleball. Mm-hmm. And you see, for anybody else, that would be good news. Right. But if Jamie Foxx is playing pickleball, I feel like something's very, very wrong. <laughs> And what would that be? That just doesn't seem like... I mean, he, <laughs> right. he's, he seems like a very cool guy. If he's playing pickleball, what have they done to him? Have you ever played pickleball? I've watched people play. You know what pickleball is? It's standing yeah. on the ping pong table Yeah, yeah. and playing ping pong. I played tennis a little bit in high school. and Tennis is serious. Yeah, right. Pickleball is... Mm-mm. And I know I'm going to get a ton of grief about this, although it'll be low-impact grief. <laughs> It shouldn't be too much. I, I probably can outrun whoever is after me. <laughs> right. But um, it's just that if Jamie Foxx playing pickleball, that doesn't sound like Jamie Foxx. It just doesn't, does it? You know? And and well, is, is it just me or is this entire, the entire arc of this story has been very, just very bizarre? E- either he's okay and they just did a terrible job of like managing the updates or something very exotic and weird happened, and he was in a lot of trouble, and we just don't know. It's kind of why it didn't make my newscast, but I'm just saying. I, well, and I understand that, and that's why I'm sort of here to like pick up the you know the loose ends, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but the pickleball thing, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how to feel about that. So yeah. uh, anyway, we'll sort that out. And good afternoon, welcome to our dreadful little show. It is Friday, which means in our third hour, we'll have the dish, we'll talk restaurants, and you'll have a chance to praise or zing. Your most recent restaurant outing, excursion, experience uh, after six. Uh, obviously, the big story today, the expiration of Title 42 and the uh, overwhelming or the invasion of or whatever you want to call it of the southern uh, border. And we have reached the point where every news organization across the spectrum has to cover this. Of course, not everybody has to feel the same way about it or use the same words, but it, it is it is too big to sort of broom off to the side or to silo it according to your ideology. Um, and it seems to me that, and, and I know I'm going to say something that's really obvious to you, but I, I'm I'm wondering if this is what's becoming obvious to people across the country and like we always say remember if if you have friends or family in like northern states they are way behind on this they are way behind what's been going on how long it's been going on how bad it is what it's doing to uh you know communities along the border but it's probably becoming clear to more and more people and crystal clear to us 
that the priority of the Biden administration is to admit every illegal immigrant they can. So I don't know what good you're going to do having hearings, you know, calling in and grilling Mayorkas or whoever, because they're not going to tell you that, and they're just going to say stuff about efforting this and our best effort and so forth. But even before the Title 42 expiration, and certainly epitomized by the Title 42 expiration, um, th- there's no uh, sense of restraint or of discouragement. You know, a very simple question that somebody could ask Joe Biden when he's at one of those rope lines or g- going to Delaware or whatever it is, why don't you just turn these people back? Why is it a priority to process them? Why is it a priority to parole them into the country? Why is it a priority to find room and free up room at the shelters? Why not just stop the line? And the answer is because bringing everybody through is, is the goal. It's not a, it's not a failure. It's a function. Or is it fiction? This is what Hakeem Jeffries says. Now, he's the congressman from New York who's the House Minority Leader, meaning if in the next election the Democrats slip just a few seats, he'll be the Speaker of the House. He'll be in the line of succession to the presidency. Hakeem Jeffries at his news conference yesterday morning said that this is just something Republicans are talking about. Cut number three. As is often the case with my extreme MAGA Republican colleagues, they create a fictional argument around what's happening at the border and then actually do nothing to solve the real problem. And that is exactly what the Child Deportation Act is all about. So you've got KJP saying border crossings are down 90%. And here's Baghdad Bob Jeffries uh, saying this isn't really happening and what you're seeing isn't really uh, happening. And um, I, I guess we need to go through this sort of ridiculousness. I mean, if you think about it, like I said, the rest of the country has to catch up and figure out the absurdity of what they see versus what's being described for them by Hakeem Jeffries. And, of course, the, the media are continuing to cover this as if the the assumption is that the Biden people would like to do better and are trying to do better and there's going to be a better effort made and more people are on the way to the border. And But, I mean... I, I think it's I think it's clear at this point. I mean, you can have a debate if you want about open borders and whether that's a good or bad thing, but that's what that's the practice, that's the policy. And and by the way, that's a sharp departure for this country. That's not just a sharp departure from Donald Trump. Open borders, bringing in, waving in, encouraging in every single person you can get to the southern border is a sharp departure from where we've always been. Under both parties. This is, this is a guy you would probably vote for today. If, if this guy was running today and saying this about the border, you would probably vote for him. Cut number two. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. 
the jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. Ooh. Amen. Bill Clinton. President Bill Clinton, State of the Union, 1995. If he had said that on CNN this week, they'd have apologized on their own airwaves the next morning. But that's how far we've come. It was a consensus. It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't a, there wasn't daylight between the two political parties on this 30 years ago. 210-599-5555. So you've also heard today that Daniel Penny, the uh, Marine who was on that subway last week, when Jordan Neely went in there and started menacing and scaring the other passengers and put him in a chokehold, has surrendered and uh, is facing second-degree manslaughter under New York state law which carries uh, with it a mandatory prison term. In fact, I looked it up. Uh, under New York law, manslaughter in the second degree means you recklessly cause the death of another person, i.e., these are the examples given, you perform an abortion on a woman and the woman dies, or you intentionally help someone commit suicide, It's being aware that your actions present a substantial risk that someone could be killed and disregarding that risk. Do you think Daniel Penny committed manslaughter in the second degree? We always knew that he would face charges. We always knew that there would be due process. I mean, somebody dies, that's going to happen. Um, The medical examiner says that Jordan Neely died of neck compression. I mean, the facts that that Daniel uh, Penny did what he did and Jordan Neely died in the way that he died are pretty hard to dispute. Um, I I think what people are going to look at is not so much, is there some alternative theory to Jordan Neely's death? Like, we've had cases in the past where Somebody died in police custody, and then it was disputed as to whether they had a medical condition or they were on drugs, and did that contribute? I don't think we're going to have anything like that here. I think here the question is going to be, did Jordan Neely make the choice, or did Daniel Penny make the choice? Because what the law is going to say, what Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, is apparently going to say, is that Daniel Penny took actions and chose to take actions that presented a substantial risk that someone could be killed and disregarded that risk, to use the law. Okay? 
I would look at it and say, Jordan Neely had a habit, had a um, long, long record of coming at and going at people on the New York subway. And the New York subway is the crossroads of the world. And 99.99% of the time, you act the fool, and people just look the other way, recoil, move away, move to another car, get off the train, um, try to ignore you. Because in New York City, if you've ever been or you've ever lived there, you avoid eye contact with a lot of people because there's a lot of weirdness. And it's best to just keep moving and mind your own business, M-Y-O-B. But sooner or later... I, this is how I feel about it. Sooner or later, Jordan Neely was going to meet Daniel Petty or, or someone like him. And I think Jordan Neely made the choice that matters, that was decisive with the way he was acting and the choices he was making. And I think it's interesting that the people on that car were thanking Daniel Penny. Now, you could say, well, maybe they're all hate-filled vengeful, cold people who didn't care about the guy on the ground, but maybe they're people that have lived the way they've lived for too long and are freaking tired of it. And maybe they couldn't do or wouldn't do what Daniel Penny did. But they were grateful that he did it. 66-year-old woman told the New York Post last night, I hope he has a good lawyer and I'm praying for him. And I pray that he gets traded fearly, uh, treated fairly. I really do. And I went back to him and said thank you before I left. So we're talking about that, 210-599-5555. We're talking about the uh, border. We're talking about the charges for Daniel Penny in New York City. Um, there is another uh, company uh that has uh, just uh, taken a turn down Bud Light Boulevard, and I'll tell you who that is here coming up as well. Uh, Omar is on the radio on KTSA. Omar, good afternoon, sir. Hello, Jack. Um, I got a bunch, so I'll be quick. But I think this illegal alien rush that that Bush, has, I mean that uh, I'm sorry, Biden has has uh, wanted. You know, he continues to enjoy. Uh, it's you know, it's it's getting worse and worse every day. Which you know, at, at one point thought, how could it get any worse? But you know this problem I don't think is that is at our front door anymore. It's been you know it's been let in and and uh, given a seat at the table that it you know it, it's it's so bad. Mm-hmm. But my wife does oil field sales and she's all over South Texas. Today she was in between Carrizo and El Indio on Foreign Market twenty six forty four and there's a border patrol station there, and she's never not had to stop at this one. And today she was waved through. Mm. They have to stop. Waved through. By an agent who didn't even get out of his truck. Mm. I have a friend of mine who runs several, you know, tens of thousands of acres in the Batesville area, and he's had to deal with this for since this whole thing started. Since Sunday, he's had a, uh, you know, uh, he loads of illegals come through the ranch fence gate, whatever, every day since Sunday. And one of those nights, one of those days, it happened twice. But I, I just, I don't understand how. How much worse can this thing get? Well, it's a different thing. It's a different conversation when we're not talking about, you know, like failures or not enough people or something. 
I, I believe they are trying to get people into the country. I, I believe they are facilitating the, the, the crossing, not trying to prevent it. And I don't know how that, Omar, you know, you've been telling us about this for a long time because you live near there and you call in about it. I, I can't even imagine what this is like for people in the enforcement agencies because I'm sure they've been given all kinds of different variations of orders by different presidents over the years, but how do you do this job when you're yeah, being I'm told sure the, wave them through? Yeah, I'm sure there is a level of frustration that just you know borderline. What do, what do you do? Quit or you know? I'm sure they need to they need that job to raise their family. They did. They got into that because that's what they right. wanted to do. And right, you know, it just wow, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I hope you and your family stay safe, Omar, and and uh, you as well. Always. Yeah. Thank you. And always good to hear from you. Always good. Um, We've had Todd Benzman on the show many, many times over the years. He used to, <coughs> he was a reporter for the Express News and, um, has gone on to work for, um, the Center for Immigration, uh, Studies. Uh, has written a book called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, which you should read. But he told an amazing story, uh, in the New York Post. I, I just want to share this really quickly. So he went down there and we, we were, yesterday we were referencing the video that he shot. He was the one that shot that video. We referenced with all the, the discarded, uh, backpacks and coats and clothes and inside them they found ID cards from Kyrgyzstan and, you know, all these faraway places, not, not the, the typical profile. So anyway, he's down there covering this and he was, uh, you know, in the area around uh, Brownsville and, and what have you. And uh, he was talking about how there are a lot of people from different countries and different regions of the world. And he said, while I was on the Mexican side of the border, watching hundreds upon hundreds of migrants crossing, I noticed an odd pattern. I'm reading from his post uh, column. A group of maybe 100 or 150 people would get up as though in response to a signal, and then there would be a pause. And then in a little while, another group, 100, 150 people. So I asked the Mexican immigration officer on the site what was going on. And he told me something shocking. He said their superiors were coordinating with U.S. officials on when to let illegal immigrants cross the river. DHS, he writes, wanted to make sure they were finished processing a bunch of migrants before the next batch came across. That would make the whole process look less chaotic and newsworthy. To achieve that, they were collaborating with Mexican officials through an encrypted social media chat room on when to allow the next group to cross. Now, I will tell you, I wouldn't take that on the word of just anybody, because it sounds crackers. But Todd Benzman is one of the most level-headed, uh, objective people about this story. We've had him on many times. I don't know his politics. I've never been able to tell from what he writes or reports what his politics are. He has zero hostility toward any race or ethnicity of people that I know of. He covers this story with interest and compassion for both the Americans and the immigrants. He has compassion for those in law enforcement. He's he's just trying to get the, the facts out. And he notices this pattern. 
And it's not like people would be regulating themselves that way. And he asks, and yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're bringing them in 150 at a time. Think about the clip we played from Bill Clinton. That's less than 30 years ago. So this is not your father's immigration debate. This isn't even an immigration debate. Uh, this is a surrender. And it is the single most radical move Team Biden has made. You almost wonder if this was the real reason for Joe Biden. Because, again, to do radical things, you can't have radical-looking, crazy-sounding people. You've got to have some guy that looks like he's, you know, the chairman of the bank or something. And people will kind of sleepwalk through. But that's what's going on. Look, um, it's important to note that Alvin Bragg, the DA in uh, Manhattan, did not leave this to a grand jury. Uh, He chose the charges. Uh, for which Daniel Penny will uh, uh, go on trial. Um, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I get due process. Um, y- you're not going to have somebody uh, die and everybody just walks away from it. But I, I have to say, w- when we start looking at causality and choices, um, there seems to be a, an exclusive focus on the choice Daniel Penny made. I mean, the choice of manslaughter second degree is all about choosing a course of action, knowing that it was dangerous, not caring that it was dangerous. But I think the real dangerous course of action was that of Jordan Neely. Now, I'm not saying, and I know people have said it, so just to be clear, I'm not saying he deserved to die. I'm not I'm not saying that. I don't. I don't feel that way. What I am saying is, When you make it your day-to-day to to go into a melting pot of people, never knowing who or what they are and what they've been through and what their training is and what their instincts are and everything else, when you act the way he acted over a long period of time, it isn't like he he did this once, and we think, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. Some kid fooling around in the subway, and now he's dead. No, this was a pattern. It was so established that when this story broke, the way it was reported in New York on the local stations was to reference, you're going to know who this guy is because he's he's got a reputation. People that ride that line all know who he is. They don't know his name, but they all know exactly who you're talking about. That's how prevalent and, and, and repetitive this behavior was. So that, to me, is the fateful choice. And there was a Daniel Penny in this guy's future, I think. Now, we can talk about other things. We can talk about mental health, and we can talk about the system, and we can talk about the, uh, the no, no transit police anywhere to be found. If there is a transit police department, where are they? And I got a story coming up about another city with a transit problem like this. 210 599 Esteban is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Esteban, good afternoon. Good afternoon to me. It's all about self-defense. Would a reasonable person feel threatened? 
if a reasonable person feels that their physical safety is threatened, uh, you know, it becomes a whole different ball game. Yeah, the guy was crazy, so he wasn't making a rational decision. But you know, in a subway, you can't get away. I've had I've dealt with some crazy people. When I'm on the bike, and I have the option of getting the expletive mm-hmm. out of there. Mm-hmm. But when you're confronting somebody, if you're rational or irrational, that person, being rational themselves, may feel threatened. And mm-hmm. if, and you know, it's basic self-defense law. You talked mm-hmm. about your dad and you going through karate. I'm just thinking of you facing your dad after making a, after making a decision to use karate, and you having to justify your actions to, to your dad. And what would he say? And if the guy's threatening people in a confined area, you don't know anything mm-hmm. about it about mm-hmm. this guy. This guy could be carrying a knife. So it's to me. It's You're playing with fire, uh, to put it mildly, and and you are uh, going. Eventually, you're going to. I mean, maybe it isn't going to be a chokehold. Maybe somebody's just going to beat the crap out of you, or somebody's going to stab you, or shiv you, or 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 who knows. But but yeah, you you can't play this game month after month, year after year, and not think sooner or later somebody's going to strike back. And it just took a long time. You know, I, I think that's... You make a good point, though, about it being a confined space. I don't. I, I think that does set it apart from just being like out on the street, you know, where you could say, well, cross the street or go the other way. Uh, you you got no place to go. It's a, it's a very tight, uh, claustrophobic, uh, you know, situation. Esteban, good point. Thank you. Um, the... CEO of Levi Strauss, the oldest jeans company in the world, announces they are going to grow their gender-neutral line of jeans because, quote, there's consumer appetite for that. Chip Berg uh, says in an interview, we know that some women buy men's products and some men buy women's products. We know that goes on, and we've got the research and the data to show it. Uh, but he says they believe that uh, there is a market for products for people who are gender fluid, non-conforming, non-binary, or transgender. The first gender fluid line from Levi's is called Line 8. It came out four years ago. Uh, they have expanded on it uh, since then. And now they say they're going to expand on it more. Do you think gender-fluid jeans from Levi will be a success or will be another Bud Light move? I mean, it just has the Bud Light feel to it. I mean, here's a, here again is a, a venerable old brand, successful, dominates its segments. I mean, l- the word Levi's is synonymous with jeans. People refer to jeans as Levi's even when they're not that brand, right? I mean, when you when you have that level of dominance in your space in your segments that's incredible right that's like when people say i'm going to xerox some copies now, most copiers are not made by xerox but that's the that's the synonymous term for making copies levi's has that ubiquity everyone knows what that is what in the hell are they thinking i mean you know what it isn't even the product. It isn't even the product. Because you could have the product. You could make something and just 
put it out there on the shelf or whatever. It's that this guy feels the need to talk about it at a big forum. This was an Axios uh, business forum. And he even admits it's like, you know, 1% of their, their customer base. Well, in what universe would it make any sense to talk about that unless you are virtue signaling, which is what they're doing, which is what Bud Light was doing. I mean, Bud Light knows there's not that many potential trans customers for, for their beer. They weren't thinking, oh, we're going to, this is going to tap into a huge market and we're going to be, the cans are going to be flying off the shelf. No, no. It was virtue signaling. And the proof of that is that the boycott hit, and then they started in with the whole, we're going to fire this person and suspend that person, and it was only one can, and uh, we do a lot of influencers. And, you know, this, this to me has the feel of that all over again. I may be wrong, but I think Levi's has just made a Bud Light move. What do you think? 210-599-5555 about Bud Light. Robert Lashkey was the chief creative officer at Anheuser-Busch up until uh, InBev bought the company about uh, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, so until they went with this international conglomerate, he was their, uh, you know, the guy that ran their ad campaigns, and a lot of them were very uh, memorable. He now says uh, they have taken... 20 years of work and poured it down the drain. Calling the damage from the Dylan Mulvaney thing self-inflicted wounds. Quote, it's a complete lack of corporate oversight. It's been that way since InBev took the company over. He says the people in charge don't understand the people who drink Anheuser-Busch beers. Quote, none of these marketing folks has ever been to a NASCAR race None has been to a football game or a rodeo. That's insanity. That's marketing incompetence. And when I read that, which, I mean, it's, he, he's, he's stating the obvious. But when I read that, you know what popped into my head, strangely enough, was um, what he says about these people have never been to NASCAR, these people have never been to a rodeo. You could say that about our, our political leaders, too. It's not just our, our corporate or marketing best and brightest we're, we're really governed by people that don't go where we go and live how we live now you can say well jack that's nothing new i mean presidents and governors have always been you know kind of one percenter okay I'll, I'll give you that generally with with some exceptions that's generally been true but there was a time when people in our country who held high office nonetheless had some familiarity and made sure they did with things like going to a baseball game or a parade or, um, you know, county fairs, rodeos, races. And if you think about it, increasingly increasingly, and I'm generalizing, but I think it's a very safe generalization. The people in charge uh, keep to themselves, stay with people like themselves, uh, look at us as flyover country, don't understand, and, and you can see it in the way they govern and even in the way they talk. 
to stand in Washington and say there's nothing going on at the border or to um, talk about children and who should educate them and who they belong to in the way that our political leaders do, I have to tell you, I think part of that is the same thing this guy said about the Anheuser-Busch executives. They are not down here on the ground. And I'm not saying they have to live with us, but presidents of the United States used to at least go into the crowd, go to the baseball game, sit with you know sit in the seats go to the walk in the parade uh, go to the rodeo go to the county fair it might have been hokey it might have been done during campaign season but these people are really living in a bubble and so what sounds right to them is so far removed from what's right for the rest of us i call my mom every morning my mom is going to be 88 this year and i have a little habit or ritual or time uh, where I call her like in the middle of the morning and the first thing is always to make sure she took the pills that she's supposed to take in the morning because she has pills in the morning and pills in the afternoon and by afternoon my sister and her family are home from work and school and they can help her with that but I'm the morning pill reminder so I first do that and then we talk about stuff and what's going on and she's looking out the window and she's looking at the neighborhood and she will ask me what channel the Celtics are on or stuff like that Stuff like that. I'm going to try to help out as I can. And I realized this morning that really my help is nothing compared to all the things she did for us over the years. I started thinking about it. You know, here I am calling, did you take your pills? This is a lady who made thousands of sandwiches and packed lunch boxes for four kids. And this is before they made those lunchable things that were all put together for you. This is a woman that checked countless homework assignments and helped with them. And she wasn't that strong a student in school, but she made sure we had done our homework. She always remembered and reminded us of schedule and dentist appointments and write your thank you notes and family events and holy days and when the Charlie Brown specials were on television. She must have wiped 5,000 noses and butts and fevered foreheads and I don't know how many jars of Vicks VapoRub she went through or bottles of Robitussin or Children's Bear. How many times she gave us rides in the station wagon to and from school if it was bad weather. She was the field trip mom. She was the volunteer mom. uh, Took us where we needed to be. Took us to where we wanted to be. Waited for us. Always asked about our day. No one asked her about hers. And so it's amazing to think when you balance it all out that no matter how long she lives and how much my sister and her family do for her because she lives with them and they do the most, no matter how much we do for her, we'll never do as much for her as she did for us. And I bet you have somebody in your life like that too. So happy Mother's Day to the moms. We'll talk about it. There's a, a story that's gone viral today about how scientists at Stanford have uh, constructed a 3D model of what they believe King Tut would have looked like in life. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he would have looked exactly like Michael Jackson. 
Get out. Let you Google it. Could you I've got it? it on my Facebook page if people want to look at it. Could he do the I, I'm not saying a little. I'm not saying slightly. I'm saying if somebody showed you this picture and didn't caption it, you would think it was a statue of Michael Jackson. But could he sing Beat It? Well, see, that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, what did King Tut really do? You know, when you get right down to it. How many, how many, how many platinum albums did King Tut have? Just saying. You think that looks like, oh, wow. Doesn't that look like Michael Jackson? Yeah, I just pulled this up. That's, it's not, hmm. it's not an opinion. <laughs> I mean, wow. It, oh, okay. It's exactly. Or, or, or was Michael Jackson trying to look like King Tut? Yeah, the deep questions from Chuck Riccardi. <laughs> All right. Check it out on my Facebook page. We've been talking about uh, what's going on on the border, which is not any longer a different a difference of enforcement or a different philosophy or let's have more of this and less of that. It, it is apparent to us, and I believe it is becoming apparent to people around the country who are further removed from this, um, that this is actually the end of the enforcement era on the border. So when they write the history books, they will say that presidents up through Donald Trump to varying degrees and with varying um, effectiveness <clears throat> enforced the law um, and established a sovereign border between the United States and Mexico. And then Joe Biden became president, and it it was a surrender ceremony. It was a laying down of arms. It was, if you were to believe Todd Bensman, it was a coordinated effort at bringing in 100 to 150 people at a time. But even without his anecdote, it's very clear that the federal government's job at this point is to facilitate people passing into the country and then spreading them around, moving them around. I'll tell you something very interesting that's going on right now while we're speaking. There is a big protest rally in Chicago on the south side, and it's being led by African-American leaders in Chicago, and they are decrying the influx of illegal immigrants because they know that they're coming to Chicago, and they know that their um, access to city services, schools, political power, votes, is going to be diluted. And so the rhetoric at this, at this rally, I was just looking at this uh, on my Twitter feed, um, one, of the, one of the speakers, I don't know who it is, said, Politically, having hundreds of people in our community will completely wipe out any interests we have. Now, a lot of people in places like Chicago were fine with this when it was going to be here or Arizona or Florida. Then it changed, right? Then it was New York City, Chicago, Martha's Vineyard. What? And remember, these were people that said, we're a sanctuary. We, we want to be a sanctuary. We're a better class of people. We're a better caliber of people than you guys are. We welcome the outsider, the stranger. And they said that until the moment they had to do it. And then the moment they had to do it, they forgot about it. They forgot about it.
So for years, we were called racist, xenophobic, heartless, cruel. It's interesting, and I don't say this with joy, but it's interesting to watch the shoe on the other foot. Welcome to the club. What did you think Sanctuary City meant? Apparently, it meant we're so far from the border, we'll never actually have to do this. And now they do. KVU in Austin did a story uh, this week about downtown Austin. It's actually not about Austin, but they related it. They took a, a national story and they related it to Austin. It's a study from the University of Toronto. And the study looked at downtown areas all over the country. And what they did, I thought this was interesting, the way they studied downtown activity levels, they call it, was they studied um, phone data, and they tracked the number of phones that would stop in a downtown area for more than five minutes because that was how they measured units of quote-unquote downtown activity. Is somebody having a meal? Is somebody having coffee? Is somebody having drinks? Is somebody going to a store downtown in all these different cities? And San Francisco and Austin are the two cities with the most diminished downtown activity since before the pandemic. They compared it to before 2020 and now. And Austin is down so badly that downtown activity in Austin is only 53% of what it was before the pandemic. They found that some downtowns are have come back completely. But some have not come back well at all, and Austin is one of the worst. And downtown, of course, is important Austin, much more so, I would say, than San Antonio's downtown. In San Antonio, the thing about San Antonio is the politicians like to talk about downtown, especially Julian Castro, but when you live here, you realize that there's there's all kinds of centers, there's all kinds of places where the, the culture flourishes, the restaurants, the businesses, the shopping, the gathering places. And, and you, you could, you could have a very full life and you could have a great time and show yourself a really good time in this town and never go downtown. But Austin is a more typical traditional city. It's a downtown centered city. And downtown is not what it used to be. So, yes, the pandemic had something to do with that, but can we talk about the elephant in the room? Do people feel as safe in downtown Austin as they did three or four years ago? Are you as safe as you would have been three or four years ago? I'm kind of asking rhetorically because I don't go, I don't really go out in Austin anymore. I, I go to Austin sometimes on the weekends. I don't really go downtown and I don't go out like at night or for a night of dinner and drinks and stuff. Used to do that. Haven't done it in years. Uh, but I, I, I perceive that probably people aren't feeling it like they, like they used to, and probably with good reason. When people, when people act this way, the way this study measures, um, that's usually a pretty good indicator. That's, you know, that's kind of like crowdsourcing the information. You're, you're not, you're not depending on one person or a political point of view or what the Republicans are saying. 
people are voting with their feet. It doesn't matter what their political party is either. I mean, if you if you don't feel safe in downtown Austin, you could be the most far-left lib there is, but you're just not doing it as much. It's interesting. And kind of puts you in mind of what we're talking about with the New York subway story, too, that there are more and more places that normal, regular people are avoiding. And it feels like it's becoming permanent. The pandemic was temporary. But these patterns are starting to, to me, starting to look permanent. Got a really good um, uh, message on Facebook or comment on Facebook about the um, city election and what happened with the... I had written a uh, commentary about the 2023 city election and a listener named Kevin... And I'm going to read this. I never do this, but this was so well said. I just want to read it. Um, He says, the politicians, meaning here in San Antonio, are nonpartisan. They have no political party attached to them on the ballot. Independent voters get to believe the mayor and council members are not far-left extremists. The anti-Prop A people did a great job getting people to understand Prop A, but they never attached Prop A to the candidates or any individual. That was something we talked about. That would have been a good idea. Um, people could still say to themselves, Mayor Ron and the city council didn't really want Prop A. Side note, he writes, the political groups in SA were still 50-50 on predicting Prop A. They really didn't know if it would be defeated. When people went to the polls and saw five, six, seven people to choose from, meaning on, like, council, with no party labels, who do you vote for? The city seems safe. It seems to have jobs. In my neighborhood, it looks clean. It looks like all is well. I wonder who I'll vote for. So his argument is, I think two things he's saying, if I can extrapolate. One of them... I, we had we had talked about it, and it's a great point. The Prop A campaign probably needed to have a slate of candidates to go with it. If you had harnessed the groundswell of opposition to Prop A, you might have changed an outcome in maybe one or two districts, maybe, I don't know. <clears throat> the other thing he's saying is party labels would be helpful. Like, why do we think it's better to not have to have a quote unquote nonpartisan election when these are ideological people? That was a great argument fifty years ago when people were by and large um, viewing city government as you know run the buses on time, fix the sidewalk, you know stuff like pick up the garbage, right? Cut the median, but now that city government is a, a culture war battlefield, I, I think he's right. I, I would have to say at this point that argument doesn't hold water anymore. And, and so his point really is that <clears throat> a lot of people don't really know the stands of the people they are voting for or against or voting on. 
And I know, for example, I, I, when, I, when I read this, the first district I thought of was District 9, which is a, a pretty conservative part of town. And it has a socialist Democrat city council member because he toned it down, cleaned it up, presents as a very reasonable guy. I'm your neighbor, says John Courage. And, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not saying District 9 is full of stupid people, but I, I do think it's got a lot of people that really don't know who he is. And like Kevin, the, the guy on Facebook says, I, how would they? 210-599-5555. You know, we, we went through a, a period in San Antonio, and I'm sure it'll come back, where we were getting a lot of push for mass transit and streetcars and what have you. Um, in San Francisco, uh, their uh, mass transit system is called BART. I think that's Bay Area Rapid Transport or something. So uh, BART did a survey to find out why people are not riding BART. And uh, it was commissioned by, I guess, their city government or whatever. Uh, ridership is down huge. I mean, it has cratered. What do you think the answer was before I tell you? So I asked people, why don't you like us? And they thought the reason ridership was down, I'll just preview it. They thought the reason ridership was down because more and more people are working from home. Okay, but even when you work from home, you go places. <laughs> you know. You don't, you know, you're not Howard Hughes. I mean, you, you go to restaurants, you go to the store. You... So that wasn't it. The number one response was safety and security. A whopping 17% of San Franciscoans feel safe on BART. 17%. Keep that in mind as we go through this trial of uh, Daniel Penny in New York City. It's not a safe place, and it is perceived as not a safe place. And that changes the behavior of everyone in that space. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people that just won't take the subway in New York anymore uh, or in San Francisco. But for the people who do, it becomes a different experience. I mean, I, I used to many, 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 many. I'm talking about when I was like in college and stuff. I'd ride mass transit. You get on a, you get on a, a, a mass transit car in Boston. It's called the T. And you could bury your face in a textbook or a magazine or, or daydream. I did all of that. You could sleep. College students, we do that, right? We sleep a lot. You, you, you couldn't do that now. And if somebody I knew said, yeah, I take a snooze on the train or I, re I, I, you'd shake them by the shoulders and go, no, you can't. What are you talking about? Head on a swivel. It changes people. And when their behavior changes and their, their whole demeanor changes, there's going to be different interactions. And if you don't like that, if you think that's vigilante or people taking matters into their own hands, then that's where 
you have a choice. That's where government has a choice. Stop making excuses for bad actors and start protecting the people that pay the fares, pay the taxes, make your city work, help them get around. In a place like San Francisco or New York, you have to have mass transit. It's not like here where it's not really a very good choice. But otherwise, I I think reality is setting in. You've waited all week. You've been waiting. Monday, you got through it Tuesday, you got through it Wednesday, you started to smell it Thursday, you were right on top of it, and now it's here! It's Friday! It's time to rock and roll! Break out the speakers! Blow your cars and get up! Get home, get to your stuff, and get ready to rock because it's Friday! Whoa! Dish coming up after uh, 6 o'clock. We'll talk restaurants. And you're voting in the JR poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery. And Andrew is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Andrew, good afternoon. Happy Friday to you. Hey, good afternoon, Jack. So just real quick here, just a quick note on the border, two items. Uh, You know, I believe that letting everyone in here illegally is like, I guess Biden's losing support, so I guess he's got to get illegal votes. And then the Daniel Penny thing, it's like, I wonder what it would have played out in the liberal media had Daniel Penny been black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do have to wonder. So, I, yeah. I suspect they would have uh, covered it differently, but I also, I really wonder wh- what would Alvin Bragg have done? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, th- I feel like in that instance, he might have punted it to the grand jury and said, well, I'm just going to abide by, uh, you know, there, but, but he, he took personal control of this and determined the charges, uh, himself. Yeah. yeah. Good, good points. Both of those. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five two one zero five nine nine fifty five fifty five. on the poll question. Will Levi's gender neutral jeans be a success or a Bud Light move. Do you know who Dwight Howard is? If you're a if you're a basketball fan or a sports fan, you know Dwight Howard is a uh, was uh, I believe he's now retired, but was an NBA superstar. And he um, is in hot water because he made a video. I don't know if he went to Taiwan, but he 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 made a video in which he appeared with a politician from Taiwan. You probably can already guess where this story's going. And he was talking about how uh, much he liked the country, and he had a whole new appreciation of the country. I think he did go there, actually. Anyway, he's in this video, and he's he refers to it a couple of times as a country, which it is. Well, no, it's not. Not if you're Beijing. Beijing regards it, and you you know, we understand this. We don't agree with it, but we understand this. But to to Beijing, Taiwan is is a province in revolt. Okay, I get it. But why do we have to go along with that? Why do we have to bow and scrape to that? 
I understand the geopolitics of it. I don't need it explained to me. But I'm not Beijing. I'm not part of that regime. Only that regime needs Taiwan to be a breakaway republic or province or state or what have you. To the rest of us, of course it's a country. And has been for decades. And so now he's apologized. And before we pile on to Dwight Howard, I know that when people say this stuff and then apologize, it it grinds your gears, and it does me too. I I will say, just to be fair, I I can only imagine the kind of uh, pressure that must come down on people to speak correctly about communist China. Like, I don't really believe everyone that says something and then, you know, pulls it back or apologizes is objectively sorry or feels they've spoken in error. I think they've gotten some major heat. I think they've been threatened. And not just by communist China, but I'm pretty sure that sports leagues and large sponsors go into total freakout mode. It's like you've denied the Holocaust or you've used... A, a, a racial slur. I mean, that's the level at which a transgression about Taiwan is treated. It's like you've used the N-word or you've denied that there was a Holocaust or you've said Hitler had some good points. You, you know, and, and think about what it means to put the sentence, Taiwan is a country, in the same category as those things. Think about the rigidness and the... the um Almost the brainwashed nature of that. And people are walking, not even on eggshells, that's not even strong enough. If you didn't know anything else about communist China, if you didn't know anything about the history, the cultural revolution, tens of millions of people killed, concentration camps and slave labor today, threatening its neighbors, if you didn't know any of that, if all you knew is that powerful, rich people, the biggest names in sports, dare not express an opinion about communist China, that would tell you a lot. Good grief. Who are these guys? 210-599-5555. Speaking of scolding, apparently everybody at CNN is going through this process of scolding CNN. (laughs) It's very weird. So as you know, the other night, two nights ago, they had the town hall event with former President Donald Trump. And whether you watched it or not, and whatever you thought of it, whether you thought it was great or terrible, or you thought he was great or terrible, or you had issues with Caitlin Collins or you know whatever whatever you think i mean just step back and recognize that the man is the front runner for the republican nomination he's a former president he's extremely newsworthy an hour with him is absolutely what you would expect a news network to do it's the most normal thing in the world anderson cooper comes on Yesterday, 
and during the opening of his CNN show, says this, maybe you think CNN shouldn't have given him a platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time, I get that. And then he said, it was certainly disturbing to hear the audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. And so then he was talking not only about Trump, but about the audience reaction to Trump. And he said, uh, you can do something about it. You can get involved. And then he said, you have every right to be angry and never watch this network again. So cancel culture has now come to the point where Anderson Cooper is pretending to cancel his own network. Why don't you just turn us off? We're, we're horrible. We're terrible. We're disgusting. Turn us off, he's saying. Imagine the ludic- how ludicrous that is. And, and, you know, I wouldn't mind half as much if people like him were as offended when Joe Biden lies his face off which he did with Anderson Cooper, right in front of Anderson Cooper, at a town hall event with him. I mean, if you want to say, I'm disgusted by today's politicians, they lie every chance they get, they lie right to our face, they lie when we tell them they're lying. If, if you wanted to apply that angst and that, that, that you know, scolding equally across the board, like, fine, good. Don't have any of them on. But to carve out and say that that hosting a town hall with Trump is a special category is it's just laughable. I mean, it's just watching these people virtue signal. It, it looks exhausting. It must be tiring to be Anderson Cooper. All right, um, that's Michael Jackson, of course. Or is it because scientists at Stanford have, um, using artificial intelligence, constructed a 3D model of what they believe uh, the legendary King Tut would have looked like in his lifetime. And if you go to my Facebook page, Jack Riccardi on Facebook, you can see that King Tut would have looked exactly like Michael Jackson, or I guess to put it in the right order, boy, that Michael Jackson sure did look exactly like this guy here. I know you get tired of hearing me say this, but there's another there's another pop culture moment that couldn't happen today. Steve Martin's big hit with King Tut. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think the people at Stanford, obviously a revered academic institution, and and I, I mean these are these are scientists, these are you know top drawer people. Do you think when they were building this out, 
and uh, presumably they were like, "Hey, we we don't know how this is going to turn out. We'll let the facts lead us. You know, we'll we'll let the the we'll let the shape of the face and the nose and the eye sockets. We'll just we'll just let it let the facts lead us where they lead us." Do you think they had a moment when they stepped back and they said, "Oh, wait a minute, we." We can't, we can't release this to the public. It looks like my, looks like we just took a, a picture of Michael Jackson. I mean, or, or maybe, or maybe, you know, there's always those, there's that kind of person that's like, so, their head is so in their game, like they're so, you, you know what I mean? It's not just scientists. I mean, there's people that are so, f- like, focused on what they do that they wouldn't even see, they wouldn't even notice it. And now they're, of course, having it pointed out to them probably by everybody they know. <laughs> and then people have pointed out, Don, that in fairness, this isn't really even what Michael Jackson looked like. <laughs> this, is, this is actually what Michael Jackson reconstructed himself to look like. So this isn't a face of, like, Michael Jackson when he's in the Jackson 5. This is the face of Michael Jackson after all the work was done. And so. see, about a year or so ago, if memory serves me right, they had said because they they had did a reconstruction of, of King Tut apparently and and if, I'm trying to remember but I, apparently he was not that handsome of a man he had you know like a receding chin and well, he's gotten much better very looking narrow since face then. so something happened yeah. between then and now <laughs> he uh, now he looks like Michael Jackson <laughs> so and then he I, I'm not I don't want to get too deep here but. Is it possible, just throwing this out there, is it possible that King Tut and Michael Jackson are in another dimension and somehow have seen each other and they're like, look at you. Like looking into a mirror. I wonder if there's some ancient deceased figure that looks like me. I mean, I look ancient and deceased now, so it's possible. Bees and cornbread. Bees and cornbread. Bees and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans, Beans not cornbread out of sight. Beans. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Beans. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I hope none of you were triggered by the violence in that song. Um, having said that, welcome to The Dish. It's the last hour of the last show of the week. And in this hour, each week, we talk about restaurants in and around San Antonio and South Texas. And you really are... The one that does that, because where have you been? What have you tried? What's good? Just as you would recommend a restaurant to a friend or a coworker, just as you would talk about a new place or a place you discovered that's new to you, that's exactly what we want on the dish. Not a not a restaurant review, just a chance to uh, sing the praises of the food, the price, the service, uh, the atmosphere, name dishes, name names, tell us who the best bartender is, anything like that. Any kind of restaurant, chain or standalone little place big place uh high dollar low dollar uh high class no class uh but you can talk about any kind of uh restaurant uh and you can praise or zing 
It's a witch hunt. It, it, it makes no sense. This is about innocent until proven guilty. Hmm. You can praise or zing any restaurant on the dish at 210-599-5555. Praise or... We used to have like a little sound effect for the zing, and then we decided to make it topical every week, which is more work for Don Cooper, but we think is worth it. Praise or zing, food, the price, the service. Maybe you went out for a special occasion and you went to a place you don't ordinarily go to. Maybe you want to sing the praises of a place you frequent. Maybe you want to zing a place because things went off the rails. 210-599-5555. And, of course, we're still taking votes on today's River City Oral Surgery JR poll question about Levi's gender-neutral jeans. And we'll see how you voted coming up at the end of the hour. You can also vote in the JR poll at KTSA.com. The, um, I guess this is kind of a food-related story. There's a professor at a community college in California who has been placed on leave. David Richardson is his name. And he is gay, but apparently that was not enough to save him from the cancel culture. This tenured history professor at Madera Community College is in trouble tonight for handing out chocolates, chocolate bars, with pronouns, gender pronouns on the wrappers. Um, some of them said, um, she, her, and some of them said, he, him. And I guess the background on this is um, apparently Hershey's, I didn't know this, but Hershey's has been doing um, this deal with, uh, I guess, celebrating women or gender or something on their wrappers. So some other company then came out with chocolate bars where the wrappers say she, her, he, him. The he, him bars have nuts. Of course they do. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Or maybe you always do. It's none of my business. But in any event, um, so he hands out the chocolates. And, you know, what, what could possibly be wrong? In any other era, what could possibly be wrong with a professor giving out free candy, right? I mean, come on. Especially if it's like a morning class. Thank you. But now he is in trouble and under investigation, and they have asked him to stay away from the school and not teach his classes while they investigate a management teaching for 33 years pending an investigation into his chocolate. He is not allowed on campus. It's like he committed an actual crime. We're treating this like an act- like he actually committed a crime. Gendered chocolate. So, be careful this Halloween. That's all I'm saying. Know what you're doing. It's a good thing it wasn't white chocolate. Mm, Oh, can you even imagine? Should there even be such a thing? How dare you? How dare you? Racial appropriation. Although I have to say, I I get the joke, but white chocolate is gross. I mean. I mean, it really is. I, it must have seemed like a good idea, but come on. Uh, 
210-599-5555 as we talk restaurants on the dish. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience right here, right now, and we'll have the results on the JR poll coming up at the end of the hour. A lot of crime news in the story these days. And there's a story, this is this is really funny. Um, this happened in North Carolina. Uh, police were tracking a guy who had fled a traffic stop earlier this week. So he got away, and they wanted to locate him and arrest him. And uh, he ran into a, uh, or he was in a rural area, but he ran into a grazing area. And a group of cows gave away his location. Uh, Boone, North Carolina police are thanking cows for helping them uh, capture 34-year-old Joshua Minton. Due to the suspect's fast and reckless driving, our officers were not able to see exactly where he ran. Officers struggled to locate him. Uh, but a group of cows emerged to lead the officers to where Minton was hiding. The police statement says, apparently cows do not want suspected criminals loitering in their pasture and quickly assisted our officers by leading them directly to where the suspect was hiding. The cows communicated with the officers as best they could and finally just had the officers follow them to the suspect's location. Somebody has a good sense of humor at the Boone PD. So I guess not all heroes wear capes. There you go. Way to go, cows. Getting involved. Taking matters into their own hands. It's like cow vigilanteism. Of course, I wouldn't, you know, let's not start counting on the cows. You know, we got we still got to do our own stuff here, but nice of them to step up and help. So hopefully they're all okay. Of course, of course we won't have this much longer because if the left gets its way, we won't have cows. All right, so we're talking restaurants on the dish. You can make your call to praise or zing. Uh, your most recent restaurant experience, where you've been, what you've had, what's good. It could be a new restaurant that you tried. It could be one that's new to you, and you're uh, letting us know about uh, the excitement of discovery. Or it could be an old favorite you want to sing the praises of, uh, 210-599-5555. So, of course, one of the big stories was the uh, this week was the coronation of... Uh, King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla. Uh, that was, what, last Saturday, right? And um, there was apparently, after the fact, some questions, some consternation about what exactly the um, choir was singing when um, Camilla was uh, processing down the aisle of Westminster Abbey. Let me play you what people heard and see if you hear what they thought they heard from the choir. Listen to this. So it's, um, people thought they were singing, I love vagina Camilla. Why? Why would they be singing that? Here, listen again. Vagina, vagina, Camilla. 
Other people thought they heard five lads, thigh pads, iPads. Uh, they're singing in Latin. They're singing Vivat Regina Camilla, long live Queen Camilla. Maybe they should switch to English since Latin isn't what it used to be. But anyway, uh, the, uh, the whole thing was, I guess, confusing to people. Um, people that watched it said there were a lot of parts that you couldn't understand or they didn't know what was going on. There was apparently a moment where a guy looked like the Grim Reaper and he was part of the ceremony, but it wasn't well explained. I didn't watch any of it. I didn't see any of this, so I'm just catching up with it after the fact. But uh seems like the word vagina has been uh, in the news way too much this week. Is it just me? I had a picture taken years ago with her and her husband, nice guy, John Johnson. He was a newscaster, a very nice man. She called him an ape, happens to be Afri- African-American, called him an ape. The judge wouldn't allow us to put that in. Her dog or her cat was named Vagina. Mm. If you're trying to prove you don't know somebody, you probably shouldn't know the name of their cat. But um, somebody went and looked at E. Jean Carroll's uh, Twitter history, which is interesting. Uh, May of 2010, she tweets, Sex tips I learned from my dog. When in heat, chase the male until he collapses with exhaustion, then jump him. I'm not endorsing any of these. I'm just reading her. These are her tips. The man who fails to seduce a woman says she wasn't hot enough. The woman who fails to enchant a man says he was unworthy. That was 2014. Uh, Let's see. Oh, here's one. She asks uh, in 2016, any ideas on how to dominate a man? She asks. Um, And here's one from... uh, Actually, this year, E. Jean Carroll, how do you know your unwanted sexual advance is unwanted until you advance it? So I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, you know what? I'll just say this. Either she's lying about the encounter at the department store with Donald Trump, or Donald Trump needs to hone and refine his uh, his skills because this was not somebody he should have even been talking to. Clearly, so and and again, the thing with the name of the cat, I could just you know could have lived the whole rest of my life over many months. That is, without knowing that. Mm. Uh, <laughs> good grief. That's why they don't sing in Latin too much anymore. 210-599-5555. You can praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. Where should we start here? Oh, let's. I'm going to start with Brown. We haven't talked to Brown in a while. How you doing tonight? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jack. Happy Friday. Haven't, haven't talked to you in a while. You been okay? Yeah, I've been fine. I've been eating TV dinners, so, you know, can't... Uh, oh, can't yeah, there's not down. much to say about that, yeah. <laughs> no, you know, you know what you're going to get, you know, <laughs> but it's not going to be good. No, actually, I got a new one I went to, and it's, it's something I've driven by many times, and I just kind of gave it the 
you know, the stink eye because I was like, look at that place, you know. But I, I actually stopped at a place called Charlie Brown's Neighborhood Bar and Grill over on Starcrest by the Blossom Athletic Center. And it uh, it had a chicken fried steak. I was in the mood for a chicken fried steak, and I went over there, and I thought, I, I wasn't expecting much. But I will say this, the breading to meat ratio was perfect. And uh, I would definitely recommend people going in there. I mean, one side of it is a bar, and the other side, you have uh, uh, tables that you can sit down at. Um, you know, the bartender with his handlebar mustache and big muscly arms brought all my food over to me and was very pleasant. I mean, I, I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't expecting much. So when I went in there, I was absolutely blown away by how friendly they were, how clean they were, and how big it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also in kind of a weird location. It, 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 it's in a place where you wouldn't expect there to be a restaurant. Exactly. It's the last thing you see before you uh, get down the end of uh, Starcrest before it turns into Warsbach Parkway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing else over there. I'm glad you. I'm glad you tried it, and I, I. I've not had the chicken fried steak. I've had a couple other things there that were very good, and it is definitely the outside gives you no indication of what it's going to be like <laughs> right. inside. It doesn't exactly. doesn't look great from the outside. No, I've um, been by there at least thirty years. <laughs> yep. I would. You know what? I wouldn't have. We we used to get a lot of calls about it. We haven't had a call. I'm looking right now. We haven't had a call since 2019 about it. But I I think. I think the reason I went is because we would get the calls and I got curious about it. And I think it was the kind of place, Brown, that there probably used to be a lot more of. I mean, it really is like a place for people that live in that area. That's that's all it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, it wasn't that busy, but uh, I actually went there on a, I mean, it was a Sunday. Yeah. You know, Sunday evening. So it wasn't yeah. busy. And I mean, the food was great, hot, delicious, everything was yep. clean. And this, I, had, I actually couldn't even finish the, the, the chicken fried steak because it was so big. I took it home, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, chicken fried steak don't warm up well, you know? But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, could, you could make a cold sandwich out of it to be pretty good, though. Yeah, I, you know, I think I might have to do that next time. But, yeah, but I, I would recommend it. I mean, I really would. There you go. You can, you can get past it, but it, I, I definitely give it two thumbs up. Excellent. I agree with you. Very good. Thank you, Brown. Good to hear from you, sir. Have a good weekend. Praise for Charlie Brown's 11888 Starcrest on the dish. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how long it's it's been open. I'm not saying it's been open 100 years or anything, but, but I think at one time, before there was such a proliferation of chain restaurants, and there's a lot of chain restaurants that pretend they are the local place. You know, they put, like, stuff on the wall. They try to look, you know. But I think, um, I think before that, your neighborhood had a diner or a tavern. You know, I'm thinking like this place or Good Time Charlie's on Broadway, or there's a lot of them. You know, probably this was the, this was where you went. If you lived in a particular subdivision or neighborhood, you wanted something to eat, you walked down, you took a little ride down to the local place, and this was one of those places. Charlie Brown's Neighborhood Bar and Grill, 11888 Starcrest. Uh, we're going to add up all the votes 
So this half hour, see how you voted on our River City Oral Surgery JR poll question. Will Levi's gender-neutral jeans be a success? Or are they having a Bud Light moment over there at Levi's? Uh, in the meantime, we're talking restaurants. You can praise or zing uh, your most recent restaurant experience. Dine in, to go, delivery, drive through, whatever it was. 210 599 5555. Lauren, happy Friday. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up? Hey. <laughs> okay. So our spot is a little outside of San Antonio, it's in Stockdale. Um, don't know if you're familiar with that area. This place kind is of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's called Lil Italy. L I apostrophe L Italy. And it's oh, like Italian okay. food and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's not one of those like run of the mill little Italian places. Like it's just so sweet in there, real cozy. The mm-hmm. owners are really nice. Mm-hmm. And like everything that we've gotten on the menu is really, really good. So what's the what's your favorite thing? Or if I was to go for the first time, what would be like the best thing to get the first time you go? I would say to just ask for their suggestion. They have little specials that roll through. Mm-hmm. So when we were there, they had all this like homemade, handmade pesto. And I said that I was in the mood for something with white sauce. And she made me like a dish with the pesto in it. And it had a really yummy white sauce. Nice. So I don't know. They're the kind of owners that would like do that for you. You know, that's great. So it's kind of a small place, and is it lunch and dinner? I believe so, lunch and dinner. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and I see, I'm looking right now. Yeah, they, they spell it L-I-T apostrophe L, Italy. I think they probably had to do that because there are restaurants that, you know, have the name with the word fully spelled out, so that's probably how they how they changed uh, it to, yeah. you know, yeah. Probably. That was, that was a smart idea. It says it's 508 West Main Street in Stockdale. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's it. All right. Little Italy, 508 West Main no, Street, Stockdale. Yeah, and you're ask totally going to check it out. I, it sounds, I, you know me in Italian food, Lauren. Are you kidding me? I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you called. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and happy Mother's Day and all that stuff. Thank you for calling the dish. Praise. It's our first time call for Little Italy in Stockdale. Of course, there's a Little Italy here in San Antonio, and there's a, there's a chain called Maggiano's Little Italy. There's probably a lot of restaurants around the country with that name, but... Uh, this one spells it differently. Uh, 210-599-5555. It is Mother's Day on Sunday, in case you forgot it slipped your mind or something. Just saving your bacon right now by letting you know you still got time. Um, I was telling somebody today, we were talking about Mother's Day, and I was telling them what I got my mom, and it, it I guess it sounded weird, so I'm just going to tell you, and you can make a face at the radio if you want. But uh, my mom, as I mentioned, is you know, getting up there in years, and she doesn't get out very much anymore. And Days gone by, I would have given her a gift certificate or something. I had just given her a flowering plant for um, Easter, and that was just such a short time ago. I didn't want to give another flower, another plant. So I noticed that she still loves to paint her nails. So, I mean, no matter what else, even if she's not going anywhere, she does her nails. So I got her this kit. I found this kit that has all these different uh, nail varnishes and brushes and things that you use. I don't know. I mean, all the stuff that you use to, to do your nails. And then it had the, the light. Have you ever seen that thing they have at nail salons? It's like a, a light that you stick your fingertips into, and it dries the nail 
varnish or nail polish. So anyway, she'd never had one of those before. So it had all that. It had all the, the stuff that goes with it. And I got her a couple of her large print books because she likes to read, but it has to be large print. And, um, it's just, it's, you know, it's not, it's not what you get. It's just that you thought of them and you remember. And I can remember my dad used to, uh, and I say this not to make fun or anything because this was very sweet, but when we were kids and my dad would get my mom something for either Mother's Day or her birthday or Christmas, she always liked, um, there's a, uh, a line of, I guess it's, Colognes, perfumes, powders called Jean Nate. And I think they still make it. It came in a yellow and black box. Jean Nate. N A T E. And you could get it at like, you know, uh, gift stores, drug stores. It wasn't a high end um, scent like Chanel number no. five or something. But that was what my, you know, if you, if you know anything about the lady in your life, you need to know what she likes to smell like. That's very important. And he knew that that was her favorite. But he would buy that for so many occasions that she was getting like overstocked. You know, she was getting backed up on it. And she didn't want to say anything to him. So she'd put him in the cabinet and, you know, line him up in there. She'd have the, so many of the toilet waters and so many of the powders and so many of the, whatever they were, deodorants or other things. And not only would he buy that every time, but he would write with a magic marker on it her name. And I'm not really sure why, because, you know, it wasn't like somebody was going to take it. But she told me one time, she said, you know, I couldn't even have exchanged. I had so much of it, but I couldn't exchange it for something else because he wrote on it. And it's just one of those things, you know, they were married forever and they got each other. And, uh, but he had his quirks and she had hers too, to to be fair. Um, but you wouldn't have found two people that loved each other more or were more well suited for each other just. Whatever the quirk, whatever the idiosyncrasy of one, the other rolled with it, got it, uh, which is, I guess, the secret, really, right? It's it's kind of not how how in love you are at the beginning. It's how you do as the years go by and you figure out those those other things, like writing on the box. Like, why? Why would you do that? My grandfather, so this is on my mother's side, uh, my grandfather, her father, when he would give my grandmother... A card, like, again, for Mother's Day or birthday, you know. What do you write in a card to your spouse? Love and maybe your name or love and a pet name. He would write on the card. I saw this. This isn't some story that they told in my family. I saw this with my own eyes. He would sign his full name on the card, including middle initial. It seemed very official. Almost like it, this isn't just a card, this is a proclamation. I am issuing this day, you know, and, and again, they loved each other and they got each other, but it was one of those funny things that he did. He's always signed his full name. I guess if you get a signature and you get used to signing your name on checks and things, you, you know, why not, right? He, I guess he wanted her to know it wasn't just any guy named Joe, it was her, her husband, so. 
So now, what does your what does your spouse do? Does it does it stack up to that? Is it is it is it strange like that? Is it different like that? Everything is in context. My mother used to, she would give us a hard time sometimes and she would say to us, I don't know what's wrong with you young people. You think you just fell out of a coconut tree? (laughs) You exist in the context of all in which you live and what came before you. You know, I got to admire the consistency of Kamala Harris. She always cracks herself up. She right, right. I mean, like every line is a is a knee slapper side splitter to her, but apparently not. If you if you notice the number of times we play a soundbite where she is not joined in the in the frivolity by the people listening, they're just you think you just fell out of a coconut tree. (laughs) (sighs) I don't know what to, and you know you don't know what. Also, in this day and age, if Kamala Harris mentions a coconut tree, you're really not sure. Am I supposed to laugh here? Or I don't know what to. I'm not sure what to do. Oh man! You know, can I just say it was a lot easier when Joe Biden was the vice president. You know, you knew what was funny. You knew not to be worried. Like Obama was super healthy. We we weren't worried that Biden might become president. Those were good times. We we got to admit that. We got to be honest about that. I'm not I'm not changing my ideology or my disagreement with Barack Obama about things. But come on, the thing that Barack Obama did so well was we were not worried about Joe Biden. I mean, he was there. He was a heartbeat away, but it was a strong, healthy heartbeat. Guy took good care of himself. He was in great shape. How things have changed. Now we have to worry about Biden being president. And we have to worry about the person behind him. You know what I'm saying? You feel me? I mean, there's no, there's, no matter how you slice and dice that, that's just not good. This I thought was interesting. I, I, I noticed this being from Massachusetts. You know who's in political trouble going into next year? I would not have guessed this. There's just been a survey, a poll in Massachusetts, and Elizabeth Warren is deeply underwater for re-election in Massachusetts. I know, right? Like you'd think of anywhere, you know, you would think she'd be okay there. But they, they, um, in the survey, in the poll, they pitted her against the, uh, Republican governor that just left office, Charlie Baker. He beats her by 15 points head to head. Now he's not a declared candidate. In fact, he just took over the NCAA. He's the president of the NCAA. And I don't know that he will run or wants to run. And I don't think one poll would convince him to quit his new gig and run for the Senate. But on the other hand, um, that looks like a red carpet right there. So we'll see. But, yeah, maybe maybe they're getting tired of Elizabeth Warren, even in the People's Republic of Massachusetts. I don't know. Oh, J.R. Poll. Levi's CEO was talking this week at an Axios uh, forum, business forum, about their plans to expand their gender fluid, gender neutral, uh, neutral, or neutral, <laughs> gender neutral uh, jeans and clothing. Do you think Levi's going gender neutral will be a success 
or will be a Bud Light kind of moment, 100% think it's going to be a Bud Light experience for Levi's. There isn't an, a venerable brand, there isn't a successful brand name out there that they are not going the woke people are not going to get their hands on and shake it till it breaks. They're just they and the, it's like it's like when you would read in the Bible about the plague of locusts and they just come through, they swarm over everything, they move on to the next thing and what they leave behind is like ruined. And uh, so yeah, Bud Light, Levi's. Who knows, right? Who knows what's next? 210-599-5555. Um, this is interesting. We talked the other day about obesity drugs and whether or not they would be the answer to the obesity problem. And some people think they're a bad idea because you should have to work at it to lose the weight. It turns out that a popular obesity drug uh, in the early testing also seems to have the effect of killing some forms of cancer. So it would be hard to argue with a drug that was both uh, good for obesity and good for cancer. This is just an early test of a uh, drug called semaglutide. So see what happens. We'll keep you posted on that. Um, I thought we would uh, end the show tonight with um, kind of the way we started it. If you haven't heard by now, scientists at Stanford have created a 3D rendering of what they think King Tut would have looked like in his young life, in his short life. And it turns out he greatly resembles Michael Jackson. But long before we knew that, the famous comedian Steve Martin had imagined King Tut. And we'll leave you with that tonight as you have a great weekend. A happy Mother's Day to everybody. And here is Steve Martin. People stand in line to see the boy king. How'd you get the monkey? Did you do the monkey? Now, if I'd known that line of just to see him, I'd take all my money and bought me a museum. Thank you.